0: Hey, it's Katie Kramer, your Squawk Pod host. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Whether you've been loyal since our launch in 2019 or you're a little newer, we appreciate every one of you. And we love presenting you with the best of CNBC's coverage every day. Our work would not be possible without your support. So please help us help you. Take a second. Right now, click that follow button wherever you're listening and give us a rating while you're at it. A couple of stars. Remember, you can also share any of our episodes at any time on Twitter, LinkedIn, your personal newsletter, a text, whatever. Help us spread the CNBC word. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Now, let's get to the podcast.
1: Bring in show music, please.
0: Today on Squawk Pod. Are the latest extraordinary measures to save banks worth it? Former Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein.
2: You know, I'm in the risk management business, and so I don't care what anybody says. I don't even care what I think. Contingency
0: planning. On the race to shore up the financial system and the policy risks at play.
2: Well, I'm not fighting the market. I think right now interest rates are high because we're trying to uh, step on the brakes. When you're driving normally, you don't drive with your foot on the brake.
0: Plus a palate cleanser, pet parents, we've got one for you, Petco's CEO on the booming barking business.
3: There's 60 million people who are actually working from home now. And the more you're home, the more time you spend with your pet, and actually the more pets that come into
0: that house. And Fed expectations, news from Nike, and members only meets the Mets. It's Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now.
1: Stand Becky by in three, two, one. it please.
0: Good morning, everyone.
4: Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
1: It is Fed Day. It's official, the latest interest rate decision. Economists expecting a quarter point interest rate hike. Jay Powell will face the tough task of reassuring markets that the central bank can help prevent the banking sector turmoil from turning into a full-blown crisis. I think a lot of people are going to like their phones are going to light up at two o'clock,
4: whatever oh that gosh. number
1: is. People going to go, "Oh my goodness!"
5: I I'm going to be
4: watching TV at that point. This um, is must-see television.
5: The New York Times had an interesting take, lead story that it's you know, not even talking about interest rates, yeah. talking about what the hell happened. Powell on the spot for the monitoring or lack thereof. You mean on the supervision side? Yes, right. on yeah. the, right. the, the Elizabeth Warren uh, side of Proponent. things. Yeah, the, the, her criticism. I, they, if they raise, they're just—I don't know. I just think they're stubborn. If they, it's like they said they were going to do it, so they have to keep doing it. It just—we made the point yesterday. It will add another twenty-five basis points. Anyone who's who's got these long-duration bonds that are. Or mortgage backs or anything that you've got that's that's long duration. You go another 25 and it just puts you deeper yep. under.
4: If they don't raise the it, marks. Do, do people look around and say, what do they know that we don't? Are they looking at the bank right. deposits? What if they knew that inflation
5: seems to be moderating a
1: little bit? Well,
4: right. then you look at the numbers in the U.K. this morning. Inflation right. coming back with a vengeance.
1: Which is where we want to go next. Right. Because uh, new overnight, as Becky just said, inflation in the U.K. Jumping unexpectedly in February. Consumer prices rose by 10.4% on an annual basis. That's higher than the nine point percent that economists there had forecast. It was a month-to-month increase of 1.1 percent, nearly double the forecast. That broke the trend of three consecutive months of slowing price increases, the largest upward contribution coming from restaurants and cafes and food and clothing. Meantime, on the continent, ECB President Christine Lagarde warning that inflation is, quote, still high. In a speech earlier this morning, she said uncertainty around the path of inflation has increased.
0: The sizable policy adjustment is already behind us. As you mentioned, Holker, since July last year, we have raised interest rates by 350 basis points. However, inflation is still high. And uncertainty around its path ahead has increased even more recently. This makes a robust strategy going forward essential.
1: It may be that that allows him to say, look, I got to raise rates. Uh, maybe he says, the deposits aren't moving. If, he, if the deposits aren't moving, deposits aren't moving. Please tell us that, we right? Have to rate, we, we, wanna, you know, we have to raise rates. Maybe we'll pause next time. I mean, I think you could well, finesse it.
5: if you go back to the the classic explanation of where interest rates should be. I guess we're still below where they're supposed to be right. by a lot. It was just
4: the quick move, and you're right, do you add additional fuel to the fire if you are concerned about what's happening with the stability of the financials?
5: They um, always worry about breaking something. Thing. The question is, is, is anything broken? I, I don't know. Okay, let's say they raise 25. What's the market I don't, I don't. I
4: don't, know. I, I don't know. know. I don't know what happens. So if they don't raise
5: right. rates, I,
4: that's a bigger question. The market doesn't know. Does If they right. don't raise rates, does the market right. think, great, we're going to have some wind at our back and the Fed put us back on, or do they think, uh uh-oh, what does the Fed know that we don't know about what's happening in the banks right now?
5: Some numbers we know like what will happen, like inflation numbers. If they're hot, we know people aren't going to like that. This one, I don't know what it's it's one of those weird numbers where you could have it in advance and still screw and, up. And
4: by the way, even it's not just what they do, it's what Jay Powell says. I, I think he's walking a very fine line in terms of what he messages to people, what he does and doesn't say. I want can, them to hike by 10 basis points.
5: That would be a good one.
4: Like that, 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 and I can't take credit for that. That was what Jack Lew kind of yeah. suggested when he was here the other day. I don't
5: think that'll happen uh, either, but there's no reason... They don't have to go 25, we're in decimals now. We don't do do quarters, halves and eighths anymore, might as well do 10 basis points.
4: First Republic Bank has tapped Lazard to help with a review of its strategic options that could include a sale, capital infusion or asset trimming. That's according to a Wall Street Journal report that says the bank also hired consulting firm McKinsey to help map out a post-crisis structure jp morgan had already been hired to advise on strategic options and of course jamie Dimon and all the other bankers who have put deposits there probably willing to advise for free on some of these things too separately first republic sent a message to clients yesterday assuring them that the bank was conducting business as usual including processing transactions opening accounts funding loans and serving right. client needs
1: you know a number of those banks by the way that put deposits in also had sold shares on behalf of First Republic back in February, two, two folks at, I believe, about 123 or 140 some odd dollars Stocks a significantly share. significantly
4: below that. It's $16, right. $16 Which I now, think is actually 16. one 46. of the sort of
1: imperatives for why there's a feeling among some of the banks that they need to help, because they were selling shares to other people that's, at prices that were...
4: That's a fair point. But I, I think it's also been... their own form of ring fencing or trying oh, to, sure. right, to just shore things up right. and say, it stops here. Right. It's not going
5: to continue any further. Nike shares are lower. Earnings of 79 cents a share beat estimates of 55 cents. Revenue also beat, but gross margin fell to 43.3% for the quarter. Pretty good number, but uh, that was down 3.3 percentage points. Company said it offered higher markdowns and promotions uh, to liquidate inventory uh, during the quarter. Inventories were up uh, 16% versus a year ago. And the company attributed that to higher product input costs, elevated freight expenses. Meanwhile, sales in China fell 8% despite the end of the zero COVID policy uh, that had weighed uh, on operations. Yeah,
4: they said things actually were pretty good in China, right. given how difficult it was in December uh, for, part of the, for part of the quarter.
5: When does that movie come out? It's, it's out, out
4: very soon. I, I'm, I, this is one I'm actually eager to you? see. I'll, I'll go to the theaters for it. The movie, the Air, Air yeah. Jordan movie. Yeah, that, just,
1: uh, just premiered on uh, Monday night. it did. Night. I mean, not publicly, but I believe it's out. Is it this weekend or next weekend?
4: It, it's coming very soon. Yep. Yeah, Beginning of
1: April. And then it'll be available, by the way, on Amazon.
4: Yep. So
1: you can, I mean, that's going to be the issue. Do you
4: actually I'll go to the theater, the theater or do you
1: wait? Michael Jordan, the son, is handsome.
5: So that's that's what I got out of this because you brought me the early heads up on that story and you know now it's it's just so bizarre the whole right From his former uh, teammate yeah You're talking about Scottie yeah, yeah yeah wife now, or yeah that's that, that, that was that was I what this I that, that, uh, huh oh you did maybe you were after that yeah it's has nothing to do with business news nothing to do with business news except Michael Jordan yeah nothing to do with but I've seen it it's around a lot now I keep seeing it on the news about that okay. Twitter feed and I didn't know what everyone looked like and I didn't you know it just interesting. It's just on ESPN, and place like that, like Shannon Sharp, everybody's like needling Scottie Pippen and it's just, there's a lot going on on some of the other, and it's business right. in terms of ESPN is, right. is Disney.
1: Just so everyone understands.
5: And what Nike's
4: is. big business.
1: Nike yeah, Becky, just so you know what we're talking
5: yeah, about. What
4: is?
1: Scotty Pippen's ex-wife, ex-wife is, is now dating, dating Michael, Michael Jordan's, Jordan's son. son. Oh. And they used to be you know, teammates I, I on know the I know it polls. has nothing I, to do with I, anything, I know, but, but that that's Pippen's the... Well, we talked
5: about it before on the did. show. Did
1: we so, talk about it on the show or maybe...
5: Just yeah, no, we but, did. Anyway. Check this out. Uh, the New York Mets unveiling a members-only uh, jacket. No, no. Members-only speakeasy at, uh, at Citi Field. I still have my members-only jacket. Um, Was it blue? Yep. They all were. No, no <laughs> the Cadillac Club at Payson's will have only 100 seats uh, for 25 to 30 members mm-hmm. uh, with a private bar uh, with sight lines to the field, complimentary parking, uh, food and beverages, but it will cost you uh, with first row seating going for $25,000 a seat. Third and fourth for row game? seating. No, it can't be. No, um, I assume it's for the for season. The yeah, available, yeah, at lower <laughs> <laughs> you know, sitting on the floor of a basketball game, is, it's, that's almost one game. Not, not quite, but uh, a lower price of just $19,000 uh, for a little far back. But, yeah, the Mets are pretty good. I like the Mets. I was going to say, but,
1: you know, you have to watch the Mets. But the Mets, I like watching the Mets. I do. I used to watch the Mets. I grew up loving Mookie Wilson and Daryl and Dwight Gooden. Yeah, Those I would go guys. all the way back to, uh, who did Pete Rose have that fight with? Remember that?
4: On the Mets?
5: Yeah, yeah.
4: Right. There's, there's a one Ray with Knight. Ray
5: Knight. Ray Knight was a was a red for a long time, uh, mm-hmm. though too. No, uh, Maybe that's why they. It was Buddy Harrelson, a uh, uh, Met. Think. Yeah. Crickets. Rob. Crickets. Rob. Crickets. Rob. Total crickets. Uh,
4: I was a White Sox fan. If we winning ugly.
5: If like if I want to have a sing along with our staff, you know what I came up with? We could sing together. Star Spangled Banner. That's it. That's the only song that right, except for Rob. I got Rob in my
4: head. Rob. Rob here, yeah. Dawn's Early Light.
5: It's sing happy birthday. There That's a Steely Dan song, actually. You know, we can't sing any of the same song. Hey 19, A19. A19. 19 right. yeah.
4: Coming up. That one I know. Never heard of Aretha. Okay, let's go. Aretha Who? Oh <laughs> right. Move it or lose it. Kidding, Franklin, we know.
1: Cheese
2: will be next.
0: Coming up on Squawk Pod, a veteran of the last banking crisis, former Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein.
2: I would take the consequences of a little more volatility in the P&L. You can explain that, you can show it. But the best risk management tool that I know of is mark-to-market.
0: The lessons he learned in 2008 coming home to roost, measuring and being transparent about a bank's profits and losses, and so much more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. The Federal Reserve will close its two-day meeting today with uncertainty still palpable in the air. The central bank's goal to bring down inflation in the midst of soothing a troubled banking sector is a tall order and a risky one. This morning on our Squawk Box TV broadcast, we heard from former Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein, a noted risk manager. He was chairman and CEO of the storied Wall Street firm from 2006 to 2018, steering it through the global financial crisis of 2008 and its aftermath. Joe Kernan takes things from here.
5: I was hoping, Lloyd, it's great to see you. I was hoping you'd you'd join us in studio. But then I was told you're in Miami. And I go, oh, that figures. Spring break,
2: Lloyd? Is that why you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spring break. Um, I'm in Miami, but my taxes are still in New York. Rest <laughs> easy. History, um, they
5: say, never repeats itself, Lloyd, but, but sometimes it rhymes. Is this rhyming at all? Is it even rhyming at this point, in your view, what, 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 uh, what we witnessed in the past three weeks? Yeah,
2: everybody's comment. It, it, it's a lot different. Um, in 2008, you had bad assets and people didn't know whether they were very valuable or value less and um, that was a very big issue it turned out to be mo- more value less than value here you have the best assets in the world in in, in most of the cases uh, good mo- good sound mortgages and us government debt best credits in the world but it's obviously a duration problem probably not as widespread banking system in much better shape spectacular much better shape than it was before much higher capitalized doesn't involve the biggest banks which of course were much more systemic at the time but, uh, you know, it's different, but, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's only a few ways of getting things right, but a lot of ways of screwing it up. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's not concerning, obviously.
5: Right. The, uh, the reaction of regulators this time around, uh, we keep talking about explicit, implicit uh, deposit guarantees. Do you think we're going down kind of a slippery slope when, when you start uh, telling bank managers they don't need to worry about runs anymore?
2: Yeah, well, I'm hardly saying that. I mean, they have their own, you know, worries of their, you know, solvency and other issues aside from whether they keep their deposits or not, or whether they can make money or not in their in their businesses, which may, they may not do if uh, the cost of their funding goes up and they have to pay out, uh, you know, and they don't make more money because they have uh, securities that don't pay a lot of money. Um, let us say it again, Joe. What was the core of the question? Do you think
5: that is a, a dangerous precedent to start saying we're going to guarantee all yeah. depositors. I mean, a lot of the depositors at SVB should, there's been a case made that yeah, there should have been at least of, some uh, haircut. Look, there's some really rich people that, down that down are whole. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, we're going to go down a policy road here. There's going to be a lot of debate, but it also, look, there are, there are consequences. You know, so you know, moral hazard to, to doing anything where you go out of, you know, you change the rules to make things come out better for someone else you know a lot's been said about this i've said this before what is really are we really re- relying on on uh, depositors to enforce uh, bank standards um, really not no more no more than we were re- relying on flyers to enforce the standard on airlines usually you know the government puts its seal of approval on it we take that for granted but um, you know but clearly this some of what you're talking about at risk here but on the other hand if you don't What's going to happen? what's going to induce people to put money into regional banks that have substantially lesser regulation, capital requirements, stress tests for my money for no difference in interest rate. Essentially, I put my money in the biggest banks that are going to be, frankly, safer. Now, do we want that? Certainly wasn't an objective to get more concentration. Um. And you have to think of the value of the way our banking system is structured in this country. It's not like any other country in the world. We have over 4,000 banks. Most countries have a few large banks, and they distribute their, ban- um, their branches to the country, but they're, uh, they're, they're managed from a central place. In the U.S., we have banks in the communities, banks in industries, banks that you know, cater to particular demographic, uh, demographic groups. We also have the fastest, the largest economy in the world, and among large economies, the fastest growing economy, and that may be a reason for it. In other words, the grant credit, these things are in opposition, uh, safety, but you also want to have growth and risk-taking, safety versus risk-taking, and some, you know, these come down to policy judgment. So you're right, but the other side is right, too. And where do you want to come out? And then, where do you, well, where, where do you where, want to come out? Where
1: would you come out? Because there is a question about, you know, as we said, I think philosophically everybody loves the idea of a community bank because it touches the community in a way that you know a big i'd say it, a big bad bank uh, you know from New York that uh, has branches uh, in in some community may not having said that as sure, you said there's thousands say, of them and from an economic bad. efficiency perspective you could make an argument about uh, the ability to regulate them i am not sure that our regulators are so brilliant that, that that's our problem but maybe i i don't know uh, there there are people who say We just have, there's just too much of it.
2: Well, now that we're in this mode, we're going to be focused on safety and soundness and regulation, kind of a little bit oblivious to the cost of that. And we should pay that cost, but where where do you want to balance it out? I do think the banking system that we have, you know, as random as it seems to have evolved, actually does a pretty good job of extending uh, credit into all the capillaries where it needs to go, especially small business and growthy businesses, so I'd like to preserve that. Um, I would like to manage out of this particular moment. So if somebody came around and temporarily guaranteed all deposits, I would understand the, um, the institutional desire on the ha- part of the Fed to honor their safety and soundness committee. I'm not, not going to criticize that now. For policy in the long run, maybe it comes out with, ha- with higher cap than $250,000 on guaranteeing, maybe much higher, uh, more regulation. You can say, and it's probably, you know, the conservatives would say, anybody conservative and looking at safety and soundness and say, why would you have lower, uh, no stress test, lower requirements for small banks? The reason is that not that they're less, not that they're safer, they're not, but it's less consequential if they have a bad outcome to the system because they're not systemic. Well, guess what? A $200 billion, $200 billion plus uh, bank shy of 250, you know it's pretty consequential. And so you may have to lower the threshold from 250 billion dollars where you get super regulated, but elevate the regulation of any of everybody else who has deposits. and with that regulation, and with extra capital requirements come extra costs and a lower vo- velocity of lending. If you make people hold more capital against the loans, every dollar of capital, every dollar of capital, every dollar of deposits, is going to produce fewer loans against it, so there'll be a deflationary effect on that all in a permanent sense, uh, not just because we're traumatized at the moment. So these are policy judgments that trade off most of these decisions. It's not right against wrong, good against evil. There's right on both sides. How do you want to balance these interests?
4: Hey, Lloyd, one thing, just looking back to the last financial crisis, the one thing that does rhyme to me, the one thing that does look the same is the idea that banks were carrying All of these assets, and granted these are different assets, these are good assets, but they weren't marked to market. And in a rising interest rate environment, obviously they're much less valuable than they're being carried. Um, And and that's the thing that I don't get. I I thought we learned our lesson with not marking things to market. Even if it's a good asset, it should be marked to market.
2: I testified about this. Now, the history of my old firm is a little bit different. We were an SEC regulated firm, always marked to market. and didn't have the benefit of ignoring mark-to-market but culturally um, mark-to-mark-to-market is the one thing that for sure would have spotted this crisis you know the losses uh, and forced risk management on them because it would have been run through the PL and they would have seen it and they would have reacted to the PL and wouldn't have been able to stand it and would have dealt with it before it became existential Um, I, in, in, in the post, uh, uh, Andrew would know this in the post financial crisis moment. I, when testifying, I testified that mark to market was the way to go. I believed in it. But I also know, and, but people brought up the, ne- the downside of that, which I also acknowledge, which is more volatility through the PL. And these are things that go bad and then they come back and go bad and come back mostly unless they go bad and stay bad and get worse. And so, in most times, You could breeze through this and just look at the normalized um p l without without marking to market your big big battleship of uh of of assets and the whole and the whole balance sheet but on the other hand it it, you're going to get situations like this where you're going to ignore the problems too long until they get existential so again like everything else that we don't do there must be a reason for it there are trade-offs i would if you ask me my judgment I would take the consequences of a little more volatility in the P&L. You can explain that. You can show it. Mm-hmm. But the best risk management tool that I know of is mark-to-market. We had always the first sign of trouble that we ever got was not the intuition that something was going wrong. It was looking at the PL and and seeing that the prices were going down. That, mm-hmm. is, the, that is the best risk management tool. And uh, people don't uh, avail themselves of it. In fact, they hide it. It's kind of the ostrich school of uh, risk management, head in the sand.
5: What do you think uh, Jay Powell should do today, Lloyd? And, and what do you think he should say after
2: he does it? Well, I think there's been a steady refrain of not, not much difference between a hawkish pause and a dovish 25 basis point raise, and it's all in the rhetoric that follows it, showing that you're concerned about growth and. On the economy too. Um, Personally, having said that, it's not usually consequential. Also, the market saying 85 percent at least chance of it having not going to be disruption if they raise 25 basis points. Personally, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And part of me thinks that they won't do it. And there's also an institutional aspect to this. When you think of the mandates of the Fed, you know you have the economic mandates of growth and inflation fighting those things have to happen over time you know inflation could go up it can go down you you trying to get to a cent you know kind of a midpoint Um, but with safety and soundness you have to have safety and soundness every day and on the economic side there's a lot of influences on that there's fiscal policy exogenous events but in safety and soundness institutionally the Fed owns that and if I'm sitting on the Fed something that can never go wrong never go off the rails I would kind of lean into that side of things at this moment.
5: Yep, we've we've had people say that the Fed, uh, we created the Fed after the 1907 banking crisis solely for strength and instability of the the financial sector. And only later did they get those two mutually, really mutually exclusive mandates. You got to control inflation and you got to have maximum uh, maximum employment, which seem to be diametrically
2: opposed. That's a lot. That's a lot to have well, on your there are plate. Well, they have two sides to the defend: the money policy side and the regulation. You could split that. In the UK, they split that, put it back together again, and those can be those can be split apart. I don't think they need to be split apart. I think you can manage that, and I think they are highly related. If you want to, if you're worried about growth, you for sure don't want the banking system uh, to have huge problems. Well, don't forget, apart from the trauma that the banks are the transmission mechanism. For Fed policy, when they raise rates or lower rates, they're trying to accomplish that through, you know, they're trying to affect where the lending expands or contracts.
5: We haven't got much time on that. And here we go, implicit and explicit again. Implicit what you just said, that you wouldn't raise. So you think if they do go up 25, that could put additional stress on the stability of the system?
2: As I said, not a lot. If they come, you know, again, if it's a dovish raise by that i mean with dovish rhetoric around and saying we acknowledge the you know that we are concerned about the problems we're dealing with it we have other t- other tools available to us to address bank safety yeah. and soundness but we're mindful of growth it's kind of a weird situation where the market is forecasting a raise right. and then right after it you know a real you know collapse in interest rates or drop in interest rates i would, I would just skip i would skip those intermediate steps and just pause here Look, here's another thing. The deleveraging effect of all this, the less lending, the more conservatism, the accumulation by financial institutions of capital, that's highly deflationary. There's going to be less lending. The effect of all that is at least as great, probably greater than a 50 basis point raise at this point. If I were the Fed, I would pause and acknowledge, again, a hawkish uh, a hawkish comment to company a pause, and I'd say, you know, we're doing that because – financial conditions have been substantially tightened by this. 2 weeks ago we didn't contemplate the the events that we're witnessing now. This is a new factor. It's highly deflationary and deleveraging. Let's this is more than a raise. Let's let's pause and look how this works its way through the system but we're going to be ever vigilant yada yada yada.
5: Where we are right now are, are interest rates normalized and do you think we'll be where we are right now a year from now or will we at, we're going to be lower where they have to cut
2: well, I'm not fighting the market. I think right now interest rates are high because we're trying to uh, step on the brakes. When you're driving normally, you don't drive with your foot on the brake. So, I think in a normalized time, from where we are today, rates will probably go down. In a normal time, we'll have a normal yield curve, where short rates will be lower and long-term rates, which you know, long-term, which usually used to mean more risk. Uh, would would extract a high would extract a higher interest okay. rate to compensate for the risk. that's normal this is anything but normal. So we don't
5: need to go to seven percent or something we've heard six and seven bandied about you know, that's not that's not in the cards
2: well i don't yes it's not in the cards today but you know again being i'm in the risk management business and so no, i don't no. care what anybody says i don't even care what i think i can conti- i'm in the conti- <laughs> i always said contingency planning
1: uh, talk about contingency planning first republic what do you do what do you do yeah. if you're the government? Do you think they should be effectively forcing some kind of shotgun wedding? Is there something that should be happening here?
2: Same thing, by the way, yes. you can say with PacWest and a couple of the others. I think, um, and this goes back to you know, capture some of Joe's moral hazard, but really, if these institutions are weak and would not make money because of the, you know, the cost of their funding versus what they can, you know, what they can get back on the other side you know, I, I, I think um, that's what the resolution authority is, uh that's what the resolution authority is for. I'm not doing the forensics on their balance sheet. I'm not I, I'd rather not name those in particular, but I'm just saying it in what I see of those institutions, possibly, probably, but I understand that in a in a moment of systematic okay. drama. You might, you know, I, I, I'm not ideological. I wouldn't want to go down with the ship. You have to be practical. And so maybe what's being done here is a th- is what I would do if I were in their position and I knew everything that they do. I'd say one other thing that I don't think is very sensible is these bank consort, you know, these consor- consortiums going in and trying to help out a bank. I, I don't find that very confidence inspiring because I don't really think they're doing an analysis and deciding it's a. Good credit or a good investment. I think they you know people are you know trying to be good citizens and maybe having their arms twisted a little bit to participate. But I don't think it's it's I don't think it's achieving. Obviously, it hasn't achieved yet the confidence, inspiration that they were seeking because everybody, I think everybody realizes it's not a, they're not doing it out of a commercial analysis of the prospects of that institution. They're doing it because they're being asked to they're being asked to do it.
1: Lloyd uh, thank you so much. You may be getting a call from Jamie Dimon, who's leading that consortium, or maybe you should call him. Uh, it's great to see you. We appreciate <laughs> okay, it. Up. Look forward to talking to you soon.
0: Next on Squawk Pod. <laughs> puppy love, the CEO of Petco, Ron Conklin, and the business that animal lovers just can't quit.
1: What's the annual spend for the average consumer who owns a dog, per dog?
3: Roughly near $1,000. You're not spoiling them?
1: Yeah.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod.
1: Up in and Andrew. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan.
4: Petco earnings out this morning. The company reporting earnings of an adjusted 23 cents a share. That was a penny shy of expectations on revenue of $1.58 billion. That was basically in line with estimates comps, comp store sales were up by 5.3% during the quarter. That is better than the street was looking for. They were expecting just 3.6%. Joining us right now is Ron Coughlin, who is Petco's CEO. And Ron, thank you for being here today.
3: Great to be here in person, thank All right, you.
4: Let, let's talk about what's happening. I, I think there are so many questions about the economy, especially yeah. with everything we're watching in the banking sector and, and issues about consumer confidence. Does any of the concerns that we see elsewhere, does any of that show up in what you are seeing in the stores right now? Because pets have been one thing that people have always been really willing to spend on.
3: Yeah, if you look at past recessions and this time, the pet industry continues to grow. It grew through the 2007 recession, past recessions. There's some research that just happened uh, with pet parents and said, uh, "Would you rather cut down on your food or your pet's food?" It was twice as likely to cut down on your own food versus your pet. Food. And your kids? <laughs> the kids are <laughs> eating hamburger helper without hamburger. But, yeah, uh, Soppy Joe's for the kids. That's not normal. Uh, that's it's that crazy. But, uh, you true. look at uh, the pet category. Food continues to grow strongly. Services, grooming, vet, grow strongly. There is some impact on discretionary spend like other places. So you might let that collar lead last a little longer. But that the, was roughly Is the
4: grooming going a little longer, gro- too? Like-
3: grooming, we've been growing double digits, so uh, that's strong as well. The, the discretionary spend piece has been about a five to six quarter dynamic, and we expect it to play out. It started last year, so it'll play out similarly this year.
4: Is, is there any sort of trade down, like we hear from a Walmart or some places, that consumers are trading down? Yeah. Do they do that when it comes to their pets, too?
3: It's really a tale of two cities. There's been a a premiumization trend for the last decade. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you look at our high-end fresh frozen foods, if you look at Origin or uh, Taste of the Wild, the high-end foods, they're growing double digits still. Our portfolio continues to premiumize, but there are lower spending customers who are looking for more value. So we're having to adjust and have more opening price point products. And we have a great value uh, loyalty program called Vital Care. Which allows you to save four hundred dollars. You get free checkups, grooming discounts, merchandise discounts, and we hit a half a million customers. You, you must purchase. think your
5: stock's cheap. I mean, you must think your stock is cheap. What is that? in What do you attribute the last yeah. twelve month, uh, the, the look of that truck to? Is it inflation has, has eaten into your margins?
3: Yeah, I think it's a good value and a good time to to, to buy. If you look at the pressures on the stock. They are cyclical in nature, right? Um, it's the interest rate because of debt, number one, and number two, discretionary spend. Both of those are cyclical. If you look at secularly, the category is a strong category. Right. Our, our hand is very strong in terms of a differentiated. We're the only player who has a 360 with vets, grooming, food, supplies. But were
5: you well. able to pass along uh, inflation price increases in your, in your product? Have, have margins shrunk?
3: The, the pricing was able to be passed around. The, the issue on a gross margin is yeah. a discretionary spend because supplies are more profitable. So it's a short-term cyclical mix issue. Uh, but uh, the, so the pricing was passed through to 22. 23 is going to be roughly even between dis, disinflation and inflation from what we can see right now. Is there a way you can prompt people? I, I, y-
5: your people ask me, what's your dog's name we're going to make you bandanas okay. and you you made bandana- you made one for becky too for i did, for what's, I did. it's, it's, it's co- says
4: becky on it it goes right here
5: <laughs> it's for coco for coco but then when i said you have to make four of them did you say did you had your yep. yeah do you need a psychiatrist or do you need a, a bandana one of them is not ours one of them is the pup that is staying with That's us right. uh, obviously would you like everyone to have four
3: dogs would that help you know one of the dynamics is there's sixty million people who are actually working from home now and the more you're home the more time you spend with your pet and actually the more pets that come into that house Mm. so that stay-at-home dynamic is good for our business you don't forget your vaccines you you pick up those extra toys you give the treats during the day so, uh, you know, I, th- Stay at I th- home. It it's, it's great for us. It's great.
1: I mean, Chris, they are great. i a dog owner or really a pet owner. So my question is, what's the annual spend for the average consumer who owns a dog per dog?
3: Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's probably uh, roughly near a thousand dollars. Thousand
1: dollars a year yeah. annually. Oh. Yeah. And
3: he's like not spo- ten you're times not spoiling down. them. For him, yeah. Yeah. No,
5: I went in yesterday. I got some of the you know, I have an eighteen-year-old dog that, so yeah. I bought buy the stuff that neutralizes when there's an accident because there's constant accident. That was thirty-nine dollars. The food was sixty. I got two Rachel Ray now, a snacks. Have, it was one hundred thirty-five dollars. Low to me. Yesterday, one hundred thirty-five dollars. I, w- I walked out of the you, pet store. That's why. You're I, very I,
3: lucky to have a 15-year-old. Uh, 18. 18. Oh, 18-year-old. 18 18 yeah, that's Pongo. I lost my, on my the guy. Right. At, I lost my guy at 15. So He's you're the, very lucky.
5: And then Freddie's a girl. She's on the left. That's Gunther. Uh-huh. We're doing a family photos. Uh, we, you got to show Earl. Earl is uh-huh. the smartest
3: guy. Corgis are so cute. They are unbelievable, aren't yeah. they? What, uh, the there's Earl, the little guy. What's
4: the issue with debt, Ron? Just the, the
3: yeah. So if you look at our debt, you know, you talked about our quarter. Yeah. Um, we beat consensus on the top line. Beat consensus uh, from an EBITDA standpoint. Uh, our cash flow is extremely strong. We paid down $35 million of debt last week. We committed to another $100 million uh, for 2023. So we're making a lot of progress. We also put collars on the debt. Is on, it fixed rate? Collars? Yeah. 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 Collars so on the debt, which means <laughs> yeah. it caps yeah. it out in terms okay. of uh, protecting us on the upside. So we think we've made a lot of progress on the debt. But uh, as the interest rates have gone up, that's been, a, that's been a concern.
4: Yeah. Interest rates going up and tighter liquidity issues, too. So is that a concern? Yeah.
3: Um, well, now that we have, we have general, the collars, the banking system. Um, and now that we've, we've shown we can pay down that debt, mm-hmm. it's less of a concern.
4: Okay. Ramana, well, thank you for coming in today.
3: Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I can use all those things, too. Do those need to be refrigerated? They do need to be refrigerated. What's different about our product we announced today with Fresh Pet, who's number one in that space, is that it comes to you fresh. It's not frozen.
5: Okay. I'm bringing that home. By the
3: way, Buddy Harrelson is a man.
5: And and they won that series. They won that series. And Pete Rose said, I won the fight, but I lost the game.
0: And that's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
3: We are
1: clear. Thanks, guys.